I guess I'm not quite sure how to put this topic into words succinctly. Then we better not. Okay. <laughs> Let's not even try. We're, we're <laughs> essentially talking about the idea of, of cross-discipline. Uh-huh. But I had never really heard that phrase before we talked on the phone a few weeks ago, and I'd never really heard it defined. So I wonder if maybe you'll just kind of share... Um, this is this is sort of a new thing that you've been experimenting yet with, yes? Or like a new thing that you've been conceptualizing. Not even too willingly, which is kind of fun. It just sort of ended <laughs> up happening. Not, not, un, not unwillingly. Not unwillingly. Uh, uh, unintentionally is the word. Okay. Um, not, even, not even intentionally. <laughs> this is what I was trying to say. Damn. Words are important. Um, I found immediately after beginning bouldering which is sub 10 foot tall rock climbing in gyms with mats and no ropes i found out that doing bouldering made me play guitar different immediately and it made me perform different immediately and i realized that with most like accomplished musicians and accomplished artists and accomplished people of anything i mean shoot like any any ability can be informed by another ability and one that i thought of uh daydreaming a little bit today about our call right now um is that brian may is in you know the guitarist for queen and he's a profoundly educated profoundly smart like i don't want to get it wrong but like an astrophysicist or something like that yeah i think like he is, he's yeah. some very very brainy dude and he also is one of the finest guitarists that ever lived and no one has ever played quite like he has i think that mixing those two skills absolutely makes like, like they make the other one better and then I think of, like, my girlfriend is a chef, and when she is not working as a chef, she writes. And she says that in cooking, there's a certain type of autopilot that comes in for her because she's been doing it for such a long time. And when she writes, there's a certain type of autopilot that has to happen. And if you overthink it, it's the best way to not do it well. And it's the best way to not enjoy it and to create something that you muscled out of your creative well however way you do i she said that the other day and i said oh geez this cross-discipline thing is just gonna keep coming up um so i wonder how many other examples there are of uh people who do one thing and then when they're not doing that do the other thing that complements it and then and then not only that but like building discipline in any way I think Duncan Trussell said it, that he was like, if you take a glass of water and fill it with water and pour it into the toilet every single day, you'll become more disciplined in other disciplines in your life for no other reason, <laughs> for no other reason other than the fact that you do that every day. Yeah. Like you'll brush, yeah. Your, you'll brush your teeth more regularly. You'll go for a walk every day. You'll like, you know, call, call your dad or your brother, call that person that you're supposed to be talking to. All because you take the water, pour it in the back of the sink. <laughs> it's really absurd, um, but it's it's. I think it holds up. Not that I've been, uh, uh, you know, dunking water down the sink every day to keep my uh, to keep my mind sharp. Yeah, I'm not that I'm not that weird. <laughs> but it's interesting though. Like that made me think of, um, you know, it's currently winter, and during winter I'm constantly filling up humidifiers 
whether it's like I, I have steam humidifiers going in a couple rooms in my house, I do humidifiers for my guitars, and as it pertains to the guitar, it's like I feel like I get more into instrument care, and I get more into like you know, this is, I, I'm a caretaker for my guitar right now. So I might as well pick it up more often. I might as well pay attention to my craft a little bit more because it's a daily habit. It's a daily ritual that you're like kind of checking on, does my guitar have what it needs? And then you reconnect with it in a way. Like if you haven't been playing it as much, you know, it's like, well, I, I better take care of my instrument. And part of that caretaking is making sure that you're playing it and is making sure that like it's going to be making the sounds that it deserves it's interesting like just picking it up to maintain it brings you a little bit closer to it you build that relationship exactly it's kind of cool I think it helps fend off writer's block too when you look at stuff different ways like that like so much of writer's block can just be you've exhausted something or you are exhausted it's not that like the songs are dead or something so it being able to look at the guitar from more of a physical caring angle as opposed to like, I'm going to use this to get this thing out of my head. Like it can help you sort of see it more holistically again and even just think about it in a way that doesn't put that pressure on you to like come up with a perfect line or perfect chord progression or whatever. And I've always really liked those days where I'm just sitting down and restringing them or, you know, just checking on some shit, making sure things are connected the right ways or whatever. It's something really satisfying about the end of that day yeah it's like do you ever do you ever play more or like experiment in weird tunings more than when you've just changed your strings and you're like you're like tuning them up and you stop at weird intervals and like how does this sound and like i can't tell you how much music i have written and immediately forgotten when (laughs) (laughs) when when changing my strings and just like that Uh. regular maintenance of the guitar that regular maintenance of of really anything, I guess, if you were to apply this broadly, can just help you to know, like, there are other angles to approach things from. There are other ways that you can be involved in a certain discipline or in a certain practice or ritual or caretaking technique, you know? I think that's where it's cool when not only the discipline exists, but the cross-discipline then, because you get that alternate perspective along with the rigors of actually carrying out a task or a field of academic study or something like that. Like Brian May being an astrophysicist, that has to impact the way he plays in some way, or even if it doesn't directly, like just the type of mind that can flourish in the field of astrophysics. And then you put a guitar in that mind's hands, like something else is going to come out, you know? Yeah. It's like if Stephen Hawking made an album, that would be a sick album. And I have no idea what the hell that would sound like, but only he could possibly make that album. And well, I was just thinking too, like, you know, I don't, I know nothing about Brian May on a personal level, but like, think about if he's an astrophysicist and a guitarist, what if he also has synesthesia? Well, yeah. And so, and so what if he also like takes that, uh, his love of astrophysics, like his, his love of space, mm-hmm. you know, into his guitar playing and he's trying to make every note sound like a gleaming star. You yeah. Know? So <laughs> it's, <laughs> I think it. that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> well, even think of like Monty Python, like those guys, one of them's a doctor, one of them's a lawyer. Oh, man. Really? Yeah. And I don't remember how the other ones break down. I think Gilliam was more of like a, like, I think he was just a prolific animator. I mean, just, but you know, like, I think the other guys <laughs> were like, like they were like, one of them, I think was a practicing doctor and the other was a practicing lawyer. 
and then they did that. So it's this weird confluence of like this hardcore academic rigorous field of study and then the most irreverent bullshit they could come up with together just constantly screwing with each other and those two worlds colliding as hard as they did i don't think it could have been what it was without that that's just mm. something really really cool and when i was young i used to think it was kind of traitorous to have cross disciplines you know because i thought like you throw yourself all the way into being like a guitar player and you die on the cross the way all of the, the 27 club guys did, and that's it. That's what you do. Yeah. And that's what I was trying to do for so long. And I was always, like, kind of afraid, I think, of having, like, other interests, you know, because it felt like I was betraying this thing that was, like, the only thing that ever made sense to me. But sure. in recent years, I've really come to love, like, not only the kick I can get from other things, but the way it can contribute to the music and the fact that it doesn't threaten it, you know, it, it's still, it can dovetail with it or it can ebb and flow or do whatever it's got to do, but it, they're not necessarily one or the other. I think there's like on Parks and Rec, Ron Swanson said that you shouldn't half-ass one or two things. You should whole-ass one thing. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, yeah, there's something to that, but at the same time, it's, it's not maybe as much always cross-discipline as much as in being informed by your other, by your other strengths and knowing what your other strengths are. And, uh, you know, not all of us can be, uh, the guitarists of, uh, platinum selling rock bands and astrophysicists. Um, like not all of us can do that, <laughs> but, um, in the case of like that freaking show, Ron Swanson is like a self-loathing, not self-loathing, but I don't know. He really, really hates working for the parks department. However, he's also a killer sax player. Yeah. yeah. It's like, what? <laughs> it like, it just sort of, oh, also not only is he a brilliant sax player, but he's like a master carpenter. Right. So like, there's just sort of, uh, you know, it just sort of comes in and, um, I mean, for me, like, here's something. I think one of my greatest strengths, if I'm to toot my own horn, is that I can be very, 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 very patient about things. And I am patient with my music work in that way. And so sometimes it's not only, you know, what nifty ability you have. It's the qualities that are your strengths. And then also realizing what your weaknesses are and deciding not to get bummed out about what your weaknesses are. I forget who said it, but it was just like, it's on our weaknesses that we depend. Yeah. <laughs> like, we know what we're not good at, so we don't go do that. Like, um, if unless, you know, you can get better at it. But I don't know. Well, they can expose interesting gaps in your experience or your knowledge too sometimes like weaknesses like I've kind of found that to be cool in a way like if you're in a position where you can explore them in a healthy way like you can sort of start to see connections between like one thing that you thought was just flat out unattainable and another thing that you just realized you suck at and you can see like oh if I sort of polish this one up this might connect to this one and you can get better just as a person at whatever you're trying to do and that's kind of nice mm. Yeah, I mean, I think I kind of misstated, like, you know, just because your weakness is a weakness doesn't mean, bam, that's your weakness. Forget about it. Go home. You find what your weakness is, and only by recognizing that it is a weakness is how you make it better. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's like, I, I totally realized, like, I wasn't a very good listener, and I was sort of um, thinking so hard about how to not seem like a weirdo and like like I wasn't listening or whatever, that I have to like really think of something killer to say while I'm listening to this person. And then meanwhile, I'm just not 
freaking listening to them. And so I realized that I did that. And then I really doctored that since I was like, I don't know, 24, five, six, I don't know, something like that past couple of years. Mm. And only by recognizing that it was a weakness, I was like, oh, I'll fix that up. Yeah. And if I just said, nope, guess I'm just a bad conversationalist, guess I'll just sit in my room by myself and not work on that. It's like, you know, so that doesn't work now, does it? I mean, weakness doesn't imply failure either. I feel like they get used as the same thing sometimes, but I mean, it's just a weak spot. Like you can toughen it back up or fix it or do whatever you got to do with it. Like, you know, it's like my legs are currently weak. I'm trying to figure out what the fuck's going on with that. But like, that doesn't mean that they're torn, you know, like it's still, there's potential in weakness that I don't think gets talked about a whole lot. What wicked things my eyes have seen, what hearts I can't ever ease. Damn the time that I've spent pulling on that witch dump and pity the people who I made. Something uh, that was said a few minutes back made me think of this. I think I've already talked about this on mic. I can't remember where. But when I was 18, I was taking a gap year. And during this gap year, basically all of my peers were kind of taking, all of my peers that hadn't gone straight to college or were maybe going to community college, were still in the area, whatever, you know, had taken on like some blue collar jobs and were entering into their first phase of adulthood. And it was a life that I could participate in, but it wasn't what I wanted. And I struggled with the fact that I thought it was temporary because part of me was like, well, I don't want to think that I'm better than this life and that I'm just kind of here as a tourist and then I'll, I'll, I'll go on to other things. And then there was another part of me that was like, I'm not cut out for this kind of work. You know, people are kind of offering me. I had a friend that started a painting business and I worked for him a little bit on the side. I had other, I knew other people that were of course getting into landscaping and you know, those kinds of jobs. And as someone who was 18 years old and unqualified to do anything, I struggled to think like, well, does the job that I choose to take right now really define who I am in this moment or is it just going to be a holding pattern no matter what? And really all I wanted to do was just like work in a bookstore until I was done with college and then go on and do whatever else. But that wasn't always an option. So I kind of like had to take the work where I could get it. I had to do some general labor stuff, but I always kind of resented it. I always kind of resented that like I needed to learn new skills that I wasn't interested in in order to make a living or in order to really fit in with my peers in some cases is like kind of how I felt. And I can't help but think that it would have been beneficial to just be open to learning rather than be closed off and only have my sights set on who I wanted to be in the future rather than what I can learn in this moment while it's still appropriate for me to be learning these kind of rudimentary but necessary things. I think it's kind of valuable how that doubles back to like how, because if you think about it, it takes such a level of conviction to forge your own path like that, that like you have to be able to just barrel into it, at least for a period of time. Like it doesn't have to be forever, but for like any of us to do what we're doing with our lives, there has to be a period where other people do not think it's going to work. And there's still that part of you that's like, no, fuck you, I'm doing this. And like that takes a lot from you. So you got to put a lot in and... I think it comes at the price of that tunnel vision sometimes because 
it's not going to feel like open-mindedness, you know, if you're that age going through that experience and you're just kind of taking what the world dishes out, like you're going to want to just push back more than anything in the world. And that's, I think it's valuable, but it's also valuable to realize after a while that like there is value in just being in that moment and learning as much as you can from whoever you're learning from. But I, I feel like, like, at least for me, I've gotten a lot more out of that, kind of inhale moment being like, oh man, I missed some stuff. And, you know, just remembering and having that perspective. And now when I approach things, I try to learn as much as I possibly can. And basically take that, that mindset that I had about that one thing that I was going to do with all of myself and all of my life. And I do that in more momentary ways now, like when I'm in a situation, like today I was brushing back up on drive and stick and I haven't done it in a few months. And mm -hmm. it just, it went from like a casual, like I got to drive to an appointment to like, no, I'm going to do fucking loops around this parking lot until I don't stall this thing, until I can do this in my sleeve, until I can do it with a car coming. Like that was the mindset I had about the one thing back when I was 18. And now it's just this, like, I can get my kicks anywhere. And it's, it's a nice feeling, but I would never have been able to do that when I was a kid. Yeah. I think I struggle with that too. Like the, uh, giving your all to one thing and not that there's, any shame or any disadvantage in going after another thing just for the fun of it or just for the, like the sake of, of learning something. I've certainly always done that, but I think there's also a part of me that is like, well, I'm an academic and an artist and why ever stray from either of those two things? Like yeah. if those are the things that I ultimately want to serve me and that I want to serve in return, and that's what I want my identity to be. That's how I want to be known. That's how I want to earn a living. Then why would I stray from that path? Why would I even bother exposing myself to other things that I'm probably going to end up half-assing because they're not going to be my career? Yeah. And yeah, I've definitely found that that's not true at all. Like, I wouldn't say that I'm a master craftsman in anything aside from those things like aside from scholarly work and artistry uh, and I don't even think that I'm a, that I'm a master of either of those but it's what I've served the most time in order to learn what I can but in contrast were I to get into woodworking or any other kind of artistic medium like painting like how many years would I have to devote to that before it started actually benefiting me but I think that it would start benefiting me right away if I were just at least open to it and not thinking of it as a career or not thinking of it as how my identity is defined. We definitely talked about that on the I don't know what the hell it might have just been a sidebar that we made into like a bonus thing because it was long enough but it wasn't about like how there, that judgment is valid like when you say like you know is it right or wrong to be kind of judged by not your work but the work that you're made to do at any given part of your life, like that is under like better circumstances. Like when somebody is just like graduating high school, graduating college and going into the, like the thing that they've had their heart set on all that time. It's an extremely positive thing. Like that's mm -hmm. the whole notion of saying like, I am a blank, like I am a carpenter, I am a lawyer or whatever. It's extremely positive if you want to do that thing. But the ugly flip side of it is when like the world doesn't recognize your thing yet or ever. And you have to like pick out of the hat. And I think it's like, it's very natural and very valid for that to feel like a slap in the face, even if you can take it and turn it into a good opportunity and like learn a bunch of new skills and meet cool people and 
get tougher or whatever it is that you get from it, like there's no way to cut that where that isn't an insult for at least a period of time because the world's just rejecting everything that you are. <laughs> and yeah. now it's back on you to redefine that. And it's like, fuck you, no, I didn't do anything differently than you guys. I just came out like this. What a You know, something I realized earlier this year when I was, uh, or earlier, uh, you know, whatever, 2020, prior to the pandemic and everything, when I was still trying to find a job and playing music at the same time and stuff, uh, the phrase weekend warriors, you know, weekend warrior, we all know what it is. Yes. Uh, you work all week, you're the weekend warrior. And the, the it hit me one day, I just said, weekend warriors are warriors. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, let's just remember that in for a bit. But in terms of uh, going at something whole hog and just like dedicating all of your life to it and blah, blah, blah. When I was 16, I, I said I wanted to tour and play music and write my songs and travel. That's all I want to do in my life. And then I got to go on a tour with people and travel the country and play my songs and other people's songs and like see people and meet people and uh, travel and blah, blah, blah. And I did that when I was 21 and I was like 22 and three being like, uh oh, I did a thing <laughs> and, and, and I don't want to keep doing the thing. <laughs> and like and when I say don't want to keep doing it, I mean, I realized that like doing only that was not you know, what I was cut out for. And we we're yeah. talking about oh, doing something else. It's like a slap in the face. So where I'm going with this is I decided that I needed to build some type of home life. I needed to stop like running around so much because I wasn't taking care of myself and I wasn't thinking straight. So I worked as a counselor starting in like 2016 for a little while and then a substitute for two years, so 16, 17 into 18 actually. And um, I was like, damn, how, how the mighty have fallen. Like I was running, I was running around and like playing music on the other side of the country and then like going down the South and whatever. And just also just bouncing around Massachusetts and New England as much as I wanted. Oh no, I dipped all of that so that I could hang out with kids during the day, like during the weekdays and try to teach and like substitute teach and stuff like that. And um, I think something that brings us back to our topic or the supposed topic, whatever, is that I found out that one thing that really made me comfortable in living in cars and carrying my entire life on my shoulder was that I was absurdly patient. And I was mm. like, hey, guys, so uh, the bus is dead and we're going to get picked up by somebody in a day. And then uh, we're going to drive somewhere. For, we're going to be two days late. And then we're going to go to this place and then we're going to stay in this person's basement. By the way, it's unheated. There's two feet of snow outside. So the entire building is like, a, it's like, you know what I mean? Like all of these yeah. shitty, shitty things that happen to you, <laughs> yeah. but I'm patient. And then I realized that like wrangling a classroom of 30 kids, none of them, a lot of them do, but too many of them who don't want to be there and want to do whatever they want also takes a bunch of patience. Yeah. So what I'm talking about here is that you try to look at your one A plan, which is like getting too bogged down in the music thing, running at it, and then getting to a certain age where you're like, oh, damn, I can't just do this. I have to have a B plan. 
you look at what that A plan is and what it takes to do that A plan, and you look at those qualities, where else could I apply those qualities? This is not what people told me when I was 16, 17. You guys are gonna love this. I took a career, like a career quiz. I forget what it's called. It's like a vocational kind of thing. I went to a vocational school. That's why I'm so messed up. No, I don't know. <laughs> me, me, that's why I, meaning not people, me, because I shouldn't have gone to a voc school. I should have gone to like a normal elementary, not an elementary, a normal school that had a music program for yeah. Christ's sake. So I took the career thing in 16, 17, I forget how old it was. And it told me that based on all of my personalities and blah, 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 I should be an entertainer or a clown. And it's like, I don't want to do that. And I'm not an entertainer. I'm an artist. Yeah. So I just decided not to go into that and to just play my music and blah, blah, blah. And then I didn't play cover music forever. I don't want to play in shitty bars with shitty loud people and blah, 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 and play for people that aren't even listening. And I've just brought home rent by going to breweries and restaurants and playing for people. And not everyone in there is going, oh, how great he is. He's so literally they're just like sitting, enjoying their freaking dinner. And I've learned that there's nothing wrong with that. Maybe if you want to play your own songs, doing only the restaurant stuff is not quite good for that. But sure, at the same time, yeah. doing it a little, doing it a little bit, especially if you're getting freaking paid is uh, not that bad. So my point being, let's, let's, let, let's get down to it, is no one told me, consider your qualities and what you're good at and how you feel that you are, and then go into that career. Mm. And so instead, I just went and did shit I wasn't good at, like working at McDonald's and working in labor things and working in warehouses. And for a long time, other than playing music, I did not understand at all what my strengths were. Mm. I did not understand at all what my weaknesses were. I was just like free rolling, just like doing whatever and seeing where I stuck. And I really wish that at some point someone would have said, hey, a B plan does not mean abandoning your A plan. But yeah, you just yeah. you, you have to work on your B plan while doing the A plan, and it's possible. Mm. Unfortunately, what happened with me, and I'll let everybody else have a turn talking for Christ's sake, but <laughs> like, and what happened with me was that my shows were Friday, Saturday, or Thursday, whatever, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, uh, or at least whatever day it was, um, my shows were, let's say, after 6 p.m. And all the work that I could get because I couldn't really pick where I worked. I just had to take whatever I could get. We're always nights and we're mm. always weekends. And so for a very long time, I did not really like work that well. I worked like a few hours a week at something that was like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And so I was just broke as shit for years. Mm. But I decided that working a full-time job and doing the music thing was completely incompatible because I don't want to be a weekend warrior. Mm. And then I realized, nah, bro, you should probably just be a weekend warrior because that means you're a warrior. And uh, I don't know. Let's let's just say that again, that just because you want to do the A plan doesn't mean you should not get a B plan. Yeah. And uh, the key to making the two jive is uh, finding the qualities within those two things that help you do both of them very well. And if you just look at it as career A and career B, it's not fun. It's not, not good. You have to look at where they where the match. Yeah. 
So let's just let me just jump in my chair here, go back in time in my time machine, and go back to go back to me when I had a whole lot more hair. I had nice, I had nice hair like the both of you two men, nice <laughs> handsome gentlemen, and go tell him like, dude, do you know what you're really good at? You're really good at being patient as shit and like totally being cool with a bunch of kids who are being really loud and noisy and whatever, and you should go do that. I was fishing water as soon as I went to work in a school. Like, I was like, God damn, I didn't do this for how long? So shoot, how did I, uh, I, I got everybody very, very far away. Um, <laughs> no, 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 no. I wanted but, to respond to the B plan thing. Like, sorry. cause that's, so I want to bring up how sometimes cross discipline is like two areas that are very close to each other or that can be very far from each other. Like the Ron Swanson woodworking and saxophone or like, you know, when I was in my early twenties and you were just talking about substitute teaching, like I did that for a long time. Oh. And, um, I sort of cultivated this little world for myself where I had a job in a bookstore, I was a substitute teacher, I was writing for a local newspaper, and on the side, I was trying to write novels. And it very much did feel like any of these things could, like I know that being a writer is what I want to be my A plan, but really any of those other things could be a feasible B plan, and I'd be just fine with that. And I feel like all of these things work into each other maintaining a presence in academia as a substitute teacher, maintaining a presence around great literature as someone who works in a bookstore, maintaining a presence around journalism and, and constantly learning how to do that better as a news reporter. And all of these sort of feed into, <laughs> in a weird way, none of them detract from your hobby time quite enough that you don't get to be a writer anymore. So it's like, I'll always have enough time and energy and attention to devote to that. So that's an example of four things that are like all kind of close to each other in the sense that they're cross disciplinary if you allow them to be, but in a very logical way. And I feel like I always just wanted to cultivate like, okay, what, what can I do? How can I make a multifaceted life for myself where all of those facets feed into each other and never clash. And I don't necessarily feel like that's where I am anymore. I feel like I am doing things that are a little bit farther apart from each other, a little bit less logical in that way. But I feel like that really is what tests the strength of cross-discipline, is how far apart can these things be logically or vocationally or practically that one will still increase your efficacy in the other, but it might be two things as far apart as saxophone and woodworking. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to add to that, that um, at the end of the day, it seems like it's just kind of a lifelong process of coming to terms with like the simplicity of your own interests. Like the fact that all of these disciplines, they don't have to necessarily make sense together or on paper or fit in in a way that you totally understand. Like, when it comes down to it, if you like doing it, that should be reason enough. Or if you're interested in doing something, that should be reason enough to try it. You know, it's like there's no reason not to just try shit and see what, what works out. And it might be different if you're the one doing it because you're zoomed in and you're, you know, you're constantly, especially people in our 
kind of like our worlds, like just thinking about stuff in terms of like lines or chords or whatever. Like we're just, we're seeing the world in that way where we're constructing stuff out of inanimate objects all the time. So there's sort of this like undercurrent of things trying to make sense. But I always think about someone like Jack White, you know, like he tours all the time. He makes records. He runs a record company. I think he still, he started as like an upholsterer and he still just upholsters what? just for the hell of it. Like in between what? tours, like he just upholsters like projects and he comes home and works on them a little bit more. And like, wow, if you put that on a resume, it would be like, what the fuck do you do? <laughs> but all of these things flow through the same guy and he's, you know, he is who he is. And that's kind of cool. And I realized like, I'm just starting to get this now in my life. And there's plenty of time for this concept to be proven wrong or for this to fail in any number of ways or be explored more. But I've just realized that like if you yourself are the common point that all of these things intersect on, like that's kind of enough. Like there's always a way that they can benefit one another, even if it's just completely recklessly blowing off steam and taking the preciousness away from something that you needed to know that you could step away from so you could come back at it the way you need to. Like there's always an upside to that if it's something that you're interested in and that you think is cool because then you'll make it fit if it's cool enough, you know? And if it's not, you just stop doing it and it's a non-issue. Hmm. Like I, I've been mountain biking a lot lately, Brian, and that's uh, my like quarantine activity. And I had done it when I was younger and I, I sort of stopped when I started playing music a lot more out. And part of that was I got like concussions and I was just oh, terrified of like, I got hit in the head hard enough that I couldn't really write songs for like a solid week. I like couldn't physically just write a song and that scared the shit out of me. So I stopped, but I realized like when I was doing it again now, I was like, I love this, but it felt at first so diametrically opposed to anything creative that I was doing. But then I realized after a little while, like I can problem solve when I'm out here. I can come up with like little parables and things and like kind of parallels between ethereal issues I'm trying to work through and physical issues I have to work through while I'm doing this. It's just kind of meditative. And some days I'm just pissed off and it's just fun to just blast down a hill as fast as I possibly can and come home <laughs> feeling refreshed. And like after a little while, I was like, no, this is just fun. I just like this. And now, you know, a few months back at doing it, I'm like, it does weirdly fit. But that seemed so wrong at first. And now the only thing I am considerate of is just not breaking a wrist. Like there's lines like that, that like, you know, that you yeah. can't necessarily make that fit in the box. Although I broke a, a knuckle one time and I just started, started playing slide guitar. And that was kind of an opportunity too. So it was like, you can make shit work, I guess, is the, the roundabout way I was trying to yeah. say that. I think that's interesting to bring up. I think we keep mentioning, what is the, the gap that you bridge in being a sax player and a carpenter? Like, how do they have anything? Maybe he loves being a sax player because it gives him the complete freedom to get out that free expression and that free feeling he wants to get in his life. So that when he goes into the workshop to be a carpenter, which is all the most exact, very, you know, no room for, ah, you know, I make my carpentry the way I like to make. Like, no, dude, you have to make stuff exactly right cut something exactly right blah blah blah. i don't know carpentry yeah um and then with you matt maybe instead of sitting writing a song which can be solitary and sort of quiet and um maybe not the most fun 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 thing in the world you come back from mountain biking with all of that energy out yeah and it's gone and you can come back to it 
when I was uh, like when I'm rock climbing and stuff like that, I come off from doing the rock climbing thing, and I'm like, damn, I'm so ready to sit and not do much. Yeah. And if you're all wound up and you're all like, like, damn, I don't want to sit down and do nothing. I don't, I don't, I want to sit down and write. Mm. I want to go do something. I'm restless. But then when you eliminate that restlessness, you can actually go do the quiet thing. So again, we keep talking about like how do the activities actually have anything to do with each other? And maybe they don't. Maybe it's how one of them makes you feel so that you can do the other one in a good feeling. Yeah, totally. And that's kind of enough to me. I think that's totally. that's kind of cool. And then there's also, like I mentioned, like the ability to practice physically, like more abstract concepts and even just types of discipline that you would need for something like, say, songwriting. Like I, I mean, I've never um, bouldered, but I just I'm kind of guessing that this might be true. But there's a certain level of focus, I imagine, that has to like, do you have to kind of get into that headspace at certain points to like like a meditative space almost? I've only done it a little bit, but like. I think the one thing, the one example I could give is I did one of the big walls, not the big walls, but whatever, one of one of the like 30, 40 foot walls in Hadley mm-hmm. at, at Central Rock. And there's a point where you're like, oh, I have to stop. I have to bounce off this auto belay system and bounce down the wall and be yeah. fine. I have to do that because if I fall, I'm totally going to die from this wall. And then you think, wait a minute, eliminate that thought because no, you're not, because you're strapped up to this rope thing. And you have to like, I'm going to not fall. I'm not going to fall. I'm not going to keep going. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going. So basically it's um, some serious mind over matter business where you tell yourself, like your your brain says, you can't fall from this. Like you can't, you can't, so you better stop. Yeah. But you have to tell yourself, no, I'm not. And then when we're talking about the actual low deal boulder business, it's um it's strength. It's looking mm. at a 45 degree wall like this and looking at it and go, I'm not gonna climb on that. And then <laughs> realize that once you get up to the handhold initially and then bring up your feet, lock your feet into some toe hook or something like that, mm. all you have to do is really wrench on that one hand, get it nice, and then be ready to snap and go over to the next hole. Yeah. And you go if you if you stand there and look at it, I can't do that. Once you get on that thing, you're like, man, I can't do that. But then you do that. Yeah. And then once you're here, you go, okay, I gotta switch my feet and be ready to push off my left foot so I can bump up to the next one. And it's like definitely a, I, I don't know. I, I keep saying mind over matter. It's definitely a um like believe in the process and believe that the next step will lead the next step and if you try to get from one to five without doing two and two through four you're not going to do it yeah and that's exactly what i mean is like and also just finding a process if it doesn't appear that there is a process like it's so weird when you're doing something like more intellectual for instance and you're you almost have to like build the playground and then practice all the techniques and then perfect them all and then implement them and there's so many steps involved but when you're like in a physical situation like that it's just there like you're on the playground already you have to like it's just you and the challenge and it simplifies it in a way that I find is very helpful for me at least to like take back to stuff that I have to conceptualize on a more vague level and it makes me see those steps a lot more clearly and more quickly. Like, yeah, like if I'm biking, like it's the same thing where I have that fear of like, oh my God, if I'm going to die, like if I go down this hill, I'm going to actually die and this is going to be a problem. And then I realize I'm already going down the hill and I don't have a choice. So 
I better figure it out. Like I better get into that flow state right now and figure out what the hell I'm going to do. Even if that is bailing, I need to make a decision right now. And that is something yeah. that I tend to think I'm doing when I'm in a creative setting, for instance, but I don't know if I had actually been doing it at least as deliberately until I started doing stuff like that. And it was the same with like, if I'm running, like I'll sometimes put myself in a situation where if I'm like, I don't know if I can run this distance or whatever, like you just run it in a straight line. You don't do a loop because at a certain point you're going to have to come home and I don't bring my phone or anything either. So it's like, I'll get into that position where I'm like, well, shit, like, I don't know if I can run this distance, but I also don't live here. So I better figure out some kind of a middle ground and you figure it out and you somehow you make it work. It might not be pretty, but I find like those lessons are so important now for me, like just the way that I process any kind of a problem or any kind of a brainstorming activity. It's something that now I'm seeing a lot of value in, but for so long I never like accessed that because I didn't realize I could do other stuff when I was in the mood to try those things. And it's been so liberating. Joel, is there something like that for you where you like a vacation from the one thing to do the other thing and when you come back to the other thing like, ah, yeah, let's do this. Is there sort of a rebound that you have? That's a great question. <laughs> I mean, I was going to say like um, when I first started playing guitar, I calloused the shit out of my hands and I was like, oh yeah. God, I really calloused my hands, but it's going to hurt and that's the way it's going to be. And as soon as I started climbing, the first mm. thing I realized was that you're going to scrape the shit out of your hands. Yeah. And if you just quit, you're not going to do it. But if you just keep doing that and keep really shredding open your hands and peeling the skin off and getting flaps hanging off your fucking hands and then like bandaging them up again and everything, if you do that, like you're going to be able to keep climbing. And uh, when I really think about it, it's a pretty cool chance thing to be able to find because I did not know that rock climbing was going to inform my guitar play ever, yeah. ever. So it's, it's definitely, I'm not saying everybody has a cool nifty cross discipline that they just have to find, but it's <laughs> definitely like, I, I wonder if that's happened to you or if you're in it. I don't think there's anything that I do that necessarily has that like procedural vibe to it. I think I'm I'm more likely to seek the activities that give me a sense of respite or a sense of relief so that I can then return to the activities such as songwriting or such as like any any sort of craft that requires a lot of executive function by freeing myself from executive function, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And like the closest that I get to what you guys are talking about, like with the mountain biking or the rock climbing or anything, it's not so much challenging myself. It's more challenging myself to just be clear headed mm. than it is yeah. challenge, challenging myself to complete a task or anything like that. So if I'm going for a hike or if I'm going for just like a very calm nature walk in the woods, I do find that if there's some exertion in the hike and if I really get my blood pumping and I get my, my muscles working a bit, like if there are some hills involved, you know, I do find that my head gets clearer and I tend not to be stressing out about anything. I tend not to be dwelling in an analytical place. 
and that's when I find that lyrics will come to me or that's when I find that melodies will come to me. Um, it's just kind of when all anxieties are gone, but I always find that I can achieve that whether I'm exercising or not, or whether I'm really exerting myself or not, you know? So, but, but I, I find that like just clearing my head and not being in the cerebral brain as much, Mm. like not planning anything and not, again, not using executive function for anything. And then just allowing myself to be present. I think that there are so many ways to get there that it almost doesn't matter to me whether one is considered a discipline and the other isn't. I like what you're saying where like the one thing that helps you to do the other thing better doesn't necessarily have to be like this big old thing. Like some people are just like, man, when I'm not feeling that great and when I really just like I'm burnt of my work, I put on some tea and I love my tea. I love drinking my tea. And it's yeah. like that's that's what their second discipline is. Yeah. Is their mm. is their tea collection and they drink a tea and then once they're done with their tea, they're like, I'm ready to tear up that book I'm working on. Or something like that. So it's, yeah. it's we're, we're talking about cross-discipline, but as I think you p- pointed out, we're talking about, like, resident. we're talking about how to not get completely overwhelmed by the one thing that you're working on. Because, you know, if, if you have one thing that you want to do in your life and you're struggling with that in any way at all, which is part of it, like, you start to feel really nervous. Oh, no, I'm blowing it. <laughs> like, yeah. You know? Um, so I think this is very good stuff. To, this is very good stuff to talk about. But I, I would also say this, like when it comes to disciplines that are complementary to art, something that I've learned during the pandemic is that, you know, at first when it was the case that like we couldn't play shows anymore and it kind of felt like, well, what can I replace this with? I found that I didn't necessarily need to participate in art because it didn't feel right to me. It didn't feel the same to do the live streams, blah, 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 whatever. I found that it was just as useful to me to cultivate aesthetic in other ways. So like that is its own discipline. I did that by indoor gardening. I did that by repurposing some things around the house, rearranging some things. I built a few bookshelves from from scrap wood that I had lying around. And they're nothing special, but it required some measurement and it required like, you know, some leveling and making sure that they were made to fairly exact specifications. And just knowing like once this is done, it will be an aesthetic that has been cultivated. All right. It will be a new visual element. It will be a new thing that like maybe it doesn't count as art. Maybe it doesn't count as beauty, at least not beauty in the same form, but it is cultivating aesthetic in some way. And so even it's not if it's not a discipline that you're going to go back to, like I'm not going to keep making a bunch of bookshelves because I don't need to. I'm not necessarily going to devote my entire life or all my hobby time to indoor gardening. But what I found is that in the cultivation of aesthetic, you can then look at your art in the same way. You then learn about cultivation. So it's not necessarily a specific discipline, but it is a way to discipline yourself to understand the methods of cultivation better and how those can span the space that you reside in and the space that you create in and 
how cultivation can be so multifaceted. I, I really like that. I think it's so important because the way that I have been phrasing it throughout our throughout our discussion, and then also just how I look at it in my life is, what other complicated shit can I do with my time? But what we're thinking of right now is, what's the way to treat yourself nice and to care about the place that you work in? Like, for me, when I tidy up my room completely spotless and I make everything nice and I freaking light a candle or whatever, I gotta do something, like, worthwhile, like, artsy or something in that room, put music mm. on it, like, read, I don't know, something. But if everything is kind of a mess and whatever, like, I don't want to as much. So, forgetting cross-discipline entirely, how about the things you can do just to support your pursuits other than pursuing it you know so no i'm serious yeah if you if you if you write if you're practicing guitar for four hours and you play for another like another hour you're like god damn i don't want to play for another freaking minute what are you going to do for the hour or two before you go back to it and i i think that's important to talk about because uh you know there are there are some tortured geniuses out there um, that really dig super hard and then uh, never ever take a break and it kills them. I mean, freaking Mozart, come on. Like, you know, Mozart was like, I'm going to write all day, every day, all day, every day. And I'm a hero. Oh, also, I don't take care of myself at all and I'm a huge alcoholic and I have like, et cetera, et cetera. And I've been writing and I've been writing music for kings and shit since I was like three. You know what I mean? Like, so you have to take care of yourself and that's something he did not. Yeah. It's a kind of a drag. So anyway, you're Mozart. No, you were not Mozart. Um, however, you were talking about carpenter, and like I'm telling, with the hair you've got going on, if you become a carpenter, you've started to go down a certain route in your life that may become uh, like very, uh, very important. <laughs> and, and 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 how old are you? <laughs> Yeah, I think for me, it's it's more about finding a reprieve from my anxious cerebral brain and using whatever relief that I find from that to get myself into a headspace where I'm okay with just cultivating aesthetic and whatever analysis is net, like, don't analyze unnecessarily. Yeah. I think is, is always a big challenge for me. So... The discipline that I really need to pay attention to and really need to devote more effort to is that which would calm me the fuck down <laughs> and just allow me to take a breath more often and be present and not be so future thinking. Because I think sometimes I, I try to like cultivate a specific type of future or a specific type of reputation maybe or like a specific type of that's not even the best way to put it um just trying to maybe cultivate a record like sort of like a reputation like a catalog yeah okay you got me back on track actually when you said record yeah <laughs> I, I think a lot about like how my work will be cataloged or i think a lot about like oh i just wrote a song what album is that going to go on and i have 
either in my head or written down at any given time, a series of collections that I'm planning like a lot of songs to go on, a lot of kind of plotting out timelines for myself. And I'm almost never able to like be present when I'm writing a song without thinking about how it will be cataloged or like what, uh, <laughs> what, what era of my musicianship it will fall into, you know? I, I'm in this really weird point where like I wrote the first album I did was all like acoustic, but like acoustic kind of music, but like all kind of rapid folk punk music. And then my last album, the last full length was really loud and noisy and like faster and lots of words and blah, blah, blah. The next thing I'm working on is nothing like that. And I have decided that inevitably when people look at my third full length album with the band and with the extra instruments and blah, 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 that I'm going to make by myself, hopefully when they listen to it and go, oh, cool, where can I find the rest of your music? And they find the old albums and go, I don't like this at all. Like, <laughs> I am I decided that I'm going to look at those people and go, tough, I don't care. Like, I'm sorry. Or not, not that I don't care, but just sort of like my next album is very groovy and um, has lots of very intricate guitar work. And then every song I've ever put out has mainly been chord banging. So it's yeah. like... It doesn't sound like you're talking so much about that you don't want to disappoint, but that you just want stuff to be cohesive. But for me, I don't care. Because like, like, my most recent album is really not going to be um, anything like the other ones. So I don't know. It, it's interesting to kind of think about how it all how it is going to uh, complement the other works. That's It's so important to think about that. But um, I'm also just, I also just messed up and just like found the Grateful Dead. And like, like decided that laying down a groove and just listening to something that like a groove that you could listen to for 10 minutes is like, that's what I want to do now. So it's like, I have, uh, I've been converted. Well, also like we were talking earlier about like the reframing of art, <clears throat> how you might have a painting that you destroy so that you can use pieces of it for something new, or you might have a song that you have demoed out and you're going to use some of its component parts for something new and something better. But then I think, well, is there actually an inlet for that song? Is there actually a home that I can then create for that song in the form of an album or an EP or what, whatever it is? Is it the right time? Does it fit with what I'm doing right now? If not, then I have to save it for later. Well, if I save it for later, what will I be doing later? Meaning what collection of songs will I be trying to cultivate later? And this, this is just like the thought process that, that happens every time I think about, well, I should revitalize some things. And mm. how do I contextualize that? And I shouldn't have to contextualize it. Mm. But I can almost never think that way when it comes to my own art because I'm always thinking about how it's contextualized within my experience and within the experience of the listener. So I think there's a way to do that kind of like healthily too while still leaning into it. You know, like if you frame it as more like daydreaming or like fantasizing rather than living up to an obligation, like you can make that kind of cool. I do the same thing. Like I, everything I ever have written and will write most likely is just I believe like it's part of some bigger catalog or something like that is just how I, I think as well. And yeah, 
I have found so many times, I have to genuinely believe that it's true at the time, but I've found so many times now that fighting it just like freaks me out. Like I just start thinking like, oh Jesus, am I ever going to be able to break this cycle? So if I just lean into it and just say, screw it, this is what I'm doing now and just start pulling on that thread as hard as I can, it's, it gets fun. Like if, if you knew the amount of songs that you've heard like of mine that I thought I was writing for like a shoegaze band that I was going to start or something like <laughs> it's happened so often. Yeah. And in that moment, if you would ask me like, what are you going to do with the rest of your life? I would have said, I'm going to buy like 200 pedals and I'm going to go play the paradise twice a year and I'm going to do that forever. And like, that was all I wanted in those moments. And then the next day I woke up, I'm like, no, fuck it. I'm going to be a marathon or I'm going to just run. Like, and then it's like I just have to like get into those places, but once I like open myself up to how fun it is to just believe that hard that this thing is is right and is gonna be is gonna work, like you get beached either way. So it's like you might as well just kind of like you know get as much out of it as you can, like paddle as fast as you can while you're while you're going. And I don't know, I've found a real joy in that lately. Mm. That like you just you hook it up with dreaming instead of obligation, and then it's it starts to become like just crammed with possibilities instead of anxiety. You know, I think we're also in in talking about the cross discipline and what in what you're working on when you're not working on something else. All, all we're talking about is variety, and mm. when you um, have a, a bunch of different songs, if you mix them well, they can work. If you don't mix them well, it doesn't work. And like I, I have a few songs on my last album that totally were not on the right place on the album, and it doesn't bother me. But it's just like, eh, next time I'll switch it up a little bit. So I, I don't think as much as uh, in the catalog as much as I think about in the in the listening experience, the individual album by album by album, and then talking actually about live sets, um, I think about it that way too. I don't even know how to think about. Like what my whole catalog is, because my whole catalog is uh, is really weird. <laughs> it's like it's all over the place. It's kind of uh, too many words for people to enjoy. I didn't get booked at a place once because they said that I was rap music. They're like, it's too many words. It's basically rap music. Hell yeah! And I was like, I I have no idea what you're saying. Um, and then and then I said, hold on, listen to this song, and I played them a song, and they were like, okay, we'll work with you. It'll be a thing. Uh, <laughs> you should try that like the flip side of it and try to get booked on a rap gig with like any other song and then when they say oh no we're not going to work with you this sounds like a folk song say oh no and then swap it and just see if it works the other way too I, I, I do use a lot a lot of words sometimes so I um, I don't know <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, there's just like lots of words and everything. And, um, I have always wanted to work with more rap kids in my life. Like there's a battle rapper named Roan who's really, really good. Uh, tech nine's absurd. Like, yeah. I just like, he's so good. And then also, um, idea and abilities. Um, mm. and so while we're talking about variety, it's fun to be informed by different kinds of music and uh, different kinds of work and not not for the sake of being eclectic or like I'm all over the place it's just like no man once you know wherever you hear it wherever you get that lightning you get it from somewhere and you mm. can't you can't say no you can't be like nope sorry no I don't uh, I don't want to like rap music it's like uh oh I I I really really like Mac Lethal it's like turns out turns out you like Mac Lethal <laughs> yeah but it's like flipping it around and seeing the curiosity and something like that. Like, you know, seeing it instead of like 
that you have to like everything or don't have to like certain things because you are something specific that those don't gel with. It's like if you find yourself liking something, just ask yourself why and keep liking it. And then you kind of develop all these crazy facets that like, I mean, half of the great artists and, and performers and everything have done that. And it's it's just always kind of neat. Like I just think of half of my favorite bands and they're always the bands where at the time it was like, why the hell would those elements ever go together? And now it's like, oh yeah, no shit. Like that would just be, like of course Light My Fire would be seven and a half minutes long or of course Dylan would at some point say play it fucking loud or... Yeah. You know, it's just, there's always those moments that in the, at the time were absurd, but like, it was just somebody kind of going with their gut and being like, yeah, I'm going this way now. This is interesting to me and this is cool. And just doing that. Dylan's a perfect example because he's welding gates now. Last what? I heard. Like, that's what he's doing now. Yeah. <laughs> he's just got a yeah. huge warehouse and he welds gates and like <laughs> has a whiskey company. <laughs> that's so sick. <laughs> it's like, what else could Dylan do besides whatever the hell Dylan wants? That's what he's been doing since he was a kid. Well, I think this begs the question, is Jack White the next Bob Dylan? <laughs> Do you have any closing thoughts? Uh, Matt? You? <laughs> no. I think we hit the uh, full depth and breadth of it. Yeah. It's interesting to uh, to come at it from we're going to talk about different trades and you know complementary skills and then to have gone so deep into different sec- sections of what that means and what what variety means what cultivation of I- identity and also um, your environment and your way you could create I did not think coming into it um, that a cross discipline of creativity would be uh, being nice to yourself in the creative state. And trying mm. to create a good creative state. Because I'll tell you, that's not always what I do. I, I sometimes just like <laughs> write stuff, just write music forever. And then sooner or later, I'm just like, oh, okay. Like I kind of like take my head out of them. Oh, geez, okay. I haven't uh, gone out of the house for a couple of days. And uh, <laughs> like I've been eating rice and uh, drinking water for meals. It's just like, oh, cool. I could probably get out of the house and maybe get some sun um, or in the other way all i can think about is rock climbing all i can think about is watching these wild videos and i just get into that all day and then at the end of the day i'm like oh wow okay i should probably like get out of the bubble of adventure and blah 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 and kind of get down with myself and what i think and how to uh, be happy and develop ideas and make music and do what i'm good at and so that's like, it's it's definitely interesting to juxtapose the two. Yeah. And of course, like, we're all going to come at this from the angle of one discipline is our art and the other discipline is something complementary to the art or something complementary to the skills that we employ to create art. And doesn't that other thing that is complementary, whatever it is, need to be that which teaches us to validate ourselves because it doesn't necessarily equate to our identity as artists, or it doesn't necessarily equate yeah. to our mm-hmm. identity insofar as our identity is determined by our ego and the reinforcement that our ego gets from being creatives, you know? Yeah. So I think it's incredibly important just to make the point that, yes, it can be any other discipline as long as that discipline is teaching you how to validate yourself and teaching you how to see 
that you can bring an idea to its completion or bring a task to its completion without it affecting your ego. Like you don't need to go into every single task, every single project, every single thought, every single motion in your life with the idea that it has to define you or with the idea that it has to be a lasting part of your legacy. Yeah. I think identification is a killer. For, for me, I think I th I've said this before with you, Joel, I'm sorry, but like I'm playing folk music, I'm playing f punk music, I'm playing rock music. Oh, no. How do I please the rock people with my folk music? How do I please the folk music with my rock? Am I a rock person? Am I a folk person? Like to just get wrapped up in the freaking identity of it all is yeah. way is is is, you know, heavy word disabling. You know, it's just like a, it's a immobilizing is the better word. Yeah. It's like totally doesn't help all the time. <laughs> yeah. So, but at the same time, helping yourself identify as a positive person or per a person who's capable, this is important too. So there's your two disciplines. And there's like that implicit belief that like anyone knows what the hell they're doing too. Like a lot of that I think is built on, <laughs> at least for me, it had always been built on that, that like. I never would like say it explicitly, but just that feeling that other people know what the hell to do with life, with whatever discipline, whatever task, and I'm somehow catching up. Like I always had that feeling of like, I'm just always playing catch up with everything. And then it kind of like dawned on me at a certain point, like I still have that feeling and that's whatever response to whatever stimulus at some point in my life. But like, no one knows what the hell they're doing. Like, it was so liberating to kind of start thinking that way. And there's still a long way to go with that. But like, it's just, as soon as that idea started kicking around, I was like, I forget what it was that made me really see it plainly. But it was just like, Jesus Christ, we're all just running around. Like, no one knows what the hell they're doing. There's no plan. Dude. There's no objective. Like, this <laughs> is sick. You're making me think of... Um... Like Terrence McKenna says, um, a lot of people spend most of their lives, and I think this is very relevant to our country and to, uh, you know, people have a lot of problems with authority and who has the truth and who's giving out the truth and who's lying and authority and government and blah, blah, blah. Um, Terrence was talking about how uh, a lot of people spend their lives wondering, um, you know, who's in charge. Is it the Communist Party? Is it the corporations? Is it religion? Is it the Jewish people? Is it the Christians? Is it scientists? Is it the aliens? Mm. He said the truth is more terrifying than anything you could imagine, and the truth is is that no one is in control. <laughs> 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 and it's just like so dead on <laughs> that um you know that you definitely have to do what you're very good at and um nurture that as best you can with uh doing other things you're good at and also not only that but watching people who are good at other things that have nothing to do with what you're good at like yeah um i watch like olympic um what's the olympic sport i always end up watching like luge or yeah. like curling what the hell you know just like watching people who are really good at what they do yeah um it's uh it's a it's a nice thing to be able to uh to be able to do that's become one of my favorite things about humanity as a whole is just how like we'll invent some just bullshit exercise to do and then quantify the hell out of it and then figure out who's going to be the absolute best at it, develop all these techniques for becoming the best at it. Like I saw Cornhole on ESPN the other day. I was flipping through, what? I think it was over the summer. I was just flipping through the TV and it said like the national cornhole championship. And I was like, what in the hell? And I clicked on it. And I was absolutely 
enraptured by this. Like I was watching this thing for like a half an hour straight, which for a sporting event is a long time for me. But I was just sitting there and like it was just cornhole like you would have in your yard. Wow. Except people looked incredibly serious about it. They had jerseys. There was a technique. The commentators honestly sounded like they were winging it, but they had terminology. They had like, oh, no, see, he used that sidearm thing to the underhand, and then he was oh able to get God. it. And I was just like, it is throwing a fucking beanbag into a hole in a piece of wood. That's all it is, and it's something we do at cookouts. But now we've got people who are the best at it, and there's money involved. And I just love that. Like, it's honestly the funniest thing, but also just kind of cool that, like, there's this weird mass creativity that we have about, like, sort of turning boredom into something. And that's that's just kind of neat. Mm-hmm. I think like that's basketball, dude. Like basketball is put the thing in the fruit bucket, and then but we're but then we're gonna hang the fruit bucket up there. I think the Mayans or some people found it out before, and something some version of that. But um, that's basketball. And then talking about pushing the art in basketball, like Steph Curry um, just kind of popularized just whipping threes. And just like draining them every single time you go for them, mm. um, and like the, the amount of people who go for threes. Like I saw this brilliant chart of um, of like the half court, and uh, it was a chart of every point scored from like the fifties, mm. and the points go farther and farther and farther and farther. Mm. And so like the sport is being pushed so that nearly every goddamn ball is thrown as a three. And in the same way, going back into rock climbing and stuff like that, the first people to climb El Capitan did it in 40 days, like something like that. And they just wow. lived, they hung off the wall in tents and stuff like that. Um, El Capitan was climbed, free climbed by two guys in two hours, like Jeez. a couple a couple years ago. Like Alex, Alex Honnold, the guy who free soloed it, and then his friend Tommy Caldwell, they did it together in two hours. Uh, one wow. one hour. I'm sorry. He he would he would not be happy to hear that. He did it in sub two hours. He did it in uh, <laughs> an hour and fifty six minutes. Jesus. So it's like so we're talking about pushing art. Like geez, how much art? How much harder are you gonna push art? Um. So I think the best thing we can do with our art and with any art is uh, to redefine it and do it in our own way and the way that people don't expect. And that's like the most, that's like the most challenging art. I, I meant to bring up like Andre Matisse, like Andre mm. Matisse was a really brilliant painter and then started doing stuff with paper cutout. And people were just like, you're going to cut out paper and put it on the whatever. Okay. And then that, that those became some of his highest selling stuff. ever. So yeah, you gotta, you gotta flip the paradigm just a little bit and yeah. work on your stuff the way you work on it. Yeah. Or don't flip it if that's making you happy too. Yeah. That's the tough thing. It's like, it's like be a contrarian unless you don't care about being a contrarian <laughs> that go back to the plan A again. It's like, there's no fucking rules. I love that. I don't know. It's just cool. And that's our show. Black Market Therapy is a Dead and Mellow production and you could stay up to date with new releases and find out more about upcoming guests on the podcast by following Black Market Therapy and Dead and Mellow Records on social media. This episode was scored using two songs from Brian Dickens' most recent EP, as well as the song There's Still Hope, which he and I recorded together for Friday Night Folk. If you like what you've heard, please show your support by streaming or downloading his music. We'll be back in two weeks with an episode on toxic positivity. Until then. <laughs>